there's just something about summer, right? I know everybody has their favorite season, and you're allowed to have a different favorite season than summer, and that's fine. Like, you're allowed to be wrong whenever you want. Um, but, like, the people who say they like fall because of the bonfires and the s'mores or whatever, whatever, those really crazy people who like winter, I don't ever understand you. The people who enjoy spring clearly have never had allergies a day in their life. Um, but then there's summer, right? There's summer because there's like the late nights with the sun out. Uh, I heard about them. I have two kids, so we go to bed at 8 o'clock at our house. Um, there's a, the sun stays out late, and it's hot out in the sun and the swimming pool. Everyone's in a better mood in summer. You see your neighbors more in June, July, and August than you will the rest of the year, right? Like, it's just better in summer. And so I, I was, as I was planning for this year, I started thinking about summer. And what happens is summer is good for everyone except the church. What happens at church, is, if you look around today, you can tell, is it kind of hits this little lull. And like we're going on vacation and camping and all this stuff, and everybody's kind of like, eh, church. And so I started to think, like, man, everything about summer is so good, except church kind of hits this lull. And I started to think, how could we stem that tide? And I, I realized most of the time at church, we should be talking in summer about who isn't here. And so over the next couple of of months, we're going to talk about what if we had an endless summer? Because an endless summer would be awesome, because an endless summer would be us having cookouts, us having block parties, us having 4th of July, us always finding ways to connect with our neighbors and the people around us, right? Because when it's winter, you're not that interested in having people over, right? When it's spring, you're not that interested in doing a whole lot. But when it's summer and there's late nights and there's a lot of free time, that's when you're interested in building relationships. That's when you're interested in family gatherings. And so I started thinking, man, church needs to be the endless summer. And we talk endlessly here at Highland about the 50,000. We talk about how within a 20,000, 20, within a 20-mile 20 radius of this building, there are 50,000 people who don't know who Jesus Christ is, who if they died today would spend an eternity in hell, and how as a church our goal is to change that number. And we talked about that, and we say our goal is to reach those 50,000, and one of the most important things for us to understand as a church is that reaching the 50,000 will not happen by accident. Like, as much as we want it to, it's not as if there's a traffic jam out front right now of people whose cars are just magically turning into our parking lot. Like, it's not like anybody woke up this morning and their phone, they looked at their phone and they're like, our Facebook ad popped up and they're like, that's what I'm going to do today. Like, it doesn't work that way. The majority of people, if you were to ask them why they're here, the story probably starts with, I have a friend who was here who invited me here. I have a friend who shared Jesus with me, a parent, a loved one, someone who shared Jesus with me, right? One of the things that people love about summer and about the sunshine is, is, is the flowers and the produce and what grows up out of the ground, and none of that happens by accident, does it? All of that happens because it takes work and because it takes energy and because it takes intentionality. And so when we talk about reaching the 50,000, what we're talking about is that kind of work and intentionality. And I didn't make this up myself. This isn't something that I thought of. A lot of times in the scriptures, when Jesus talks 
about reaching people. When Jesus talks about sharing the gospel, Jesus talks about reaching people as fruit. And here's the secret, and you all know this probably better than I do. Every time we talk about these kind of stories, it makes me chuckle. Because here's me, like the kid who grew up in the city, um, the only house in the neighborhood who's digging up the flower bed like to grow more grass because we can't grow anything at our house. Like, and we're going to talk today about growing seeds and stuff. <laughs> like, like, so here's me talking about this, and all of you are the farmers and the, and the, and the gardeners, and I'm talking to you about it. But here's the thing, right? When Jesus talks about growing fruit, when Jesus talks about this, he talks about it being work. It doesn't happen by accident. When I was a bachelor, I lived in a house right across the street that I worked, uh, right across the street of the church that I worked for. And I decided one day that I needed to take better care of my house. And so, so I, I dug up the flower beds in front of the house and I cleared out all the weeds and I went to the store and I had no idea what I was doing, but I bought a couple seed packets. And I went and I went home and I dug up the dug up some spaces and I planted the seed packets and I, and I patted the dirt back down and I poured some water and I went back inside and I bragged on Facebook because that's only time it matters that you do anything is if you brag on Facebook about it and I bragged on Facebook about what I had done and then I woke up the next morning and promptly forgot that I had planted anything because it's the way it goes and like a couple weeks go by and weeds started growing up out of this flower bed. And a couple more weeks go by and the weeds start getting taller. And this, this house was right across from the church that I used to serve. And the ladies from that church weren't very happy with the weeds growing up out in the front of my house. And so they started to let me know that I needed to be weeding my flower bed. And I was like, okay, come over anytime. You're welcome. Like, I, I, don't, I don't want to. And it kept going and going. And so June comes, July comes, August comes. And I just hadn't gotten around to it because I was never going to. And it just kept growing and growing. And then one day, late August, this sweet old lady comes up to me in my office and she goes, I have a question. And I was ready for this deep theological discussion or like some great debate about church history or issues. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she looks me right in the eye and she says, has a snake been in your house yet? which she knew was going to get me. <laughs> like, and I was like, no, why would there be? And she's like, as thick as those weeds are, I bet there's snakes in there. Get the weeds out from the front of your house. So I left the office right then. Like, I'm done. I'm not working here anymore. I'm moving out. <laughs> and so I went home, and I started pulling the weeds out from the flower bed. She was a smart lady. She knew how to get those weeds out from the front of my house. And I started digging up the weeds. And I kid you not, there's just green weeds everywhere until about halfway through the flower bed, I pull up on the vine still a pumpkin. I was like pretty sure I bought flower seeds, so I don't quite know where the pumpkin seed came from. It might have been from the people who used to live there. I don't know, but it was still on the vine, so I left it because I wanted to see if I could get it to grow any bigger, but because I'm me, I forgot about it again, and it just kind of died there. But it was like this crazy thing where I accidentally one summer grew a pumpkin in my flower bed, but it still, it was crazy because it didn't really happen I mean, it only kind of happened by accident, but it didn't last because it just happened by accident, right? To genuinely grow something that matters takes intentionality and work. And so when, when Jesus tells this story that we're about to talk about together, he tells it on purpose. He tells stories a thousand times, and he could tell this story a thousand different ways. He could tell a story about making a pizza. He could tell a story about watching television. He could tell any story he wants. But he intentionally tells a story about a farmer who goes to scatter seed. And he tells it for two reasons. He tells it, number one, because he knows that he's talking to a group of people 
who are agriculture people. He knows that he's telling it to a group of people who all of them are farmers at heart, who know what he's talking about. And he tells it number two because he knows and understands the intentionality that it's going to take for this story to happen the way he tells it. And it happens in Matthew chapter 13. I encourage you to get out your smartphone and and to turn your Bible there or to turn in your actual Bible there or it'll be on the screen behind you. But he tells the story in Matthew chapter 13. And it's there that the story starts like this. It says, And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And right away, this story assumes something, doesn't it? What has to happen before you can sow a seed? Somebody shout it out for me. I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen for two reasons. Number one, because everyone's a smart aleck and somebody was going to say, no, it's 2017, we have no-till planters now, right? Like, oh, that joke wasn't any good. Okay, Um, we'll keep going. Um, So the second reason I knew that was going to happen was because nobody wanted to say, you have to work the soil, right? Like, you can't just walk out of your house and throw seed on the ground and expect something to happen. So what's assumed in this story is that when, you, when this farmer walks out, it's not the first time he works on this, seat, on this soil. That from the beginning, he's already tilled up the soil, he's already worked on the land, he's already identified the place that's going to be good for the seed to be sown. Right? This is why when we talk about reaching people here, we don't do like door-to-door evangelism. We don't say, hey, we need to reach some people so... Let's get some bullhorns and just go down to the four-way and shout at people. We don't do that here because we believe that the best way, the best way to reach people is to talk to the people who already know us and love us through relationships. Because we believe that seeds are sown through relationships. That this, the way we cultivate the soil, the way that we get ready, the way that we prepare those things are that seeds are sown through relationships. It is very rare for me to have a conversation with a stranger about the gospel. And it's not because I don't think they need it, but it's because I don't think that they'll hear it from a stranger. I am much more intentional about having those conversations with people who already know that I love them and who already have a relationship with me because then they know that I care about them Not that they're just a statistic or someone who I'm just trying to win, but rather that they're someone that I love. And so this brings up something that I think is really important for you to understand, is that if you're not cultivating relationships with people who don't already know Jesus, then you're doing this following Jesus thing wrong. If all of your friends are in this room right now or in church right now, you're not doing anything for Jesus right now. If you can't name for me friends who don't know Jesus, you need to start building relationships with people who don't know Jesus. It's okay to be friends with people who aren't Christians. It's cool. You have to do it. And you have to build relationships with them to share the gospel with those people. And it's not going to happen overnight. I can tell story after story of people who I've been friends with in this area for eight and nine years and who I have over time been planting and and cultivating, and it still hasn't happened, and I'm hoping and praying that next week is the week they walk through these doors for the first time, and that next week's the week that the seed gets planted. I don't know yet, but I know that it takes time. And I also know 
that it's not always going to work because Jesus tells the story this way. The next verse says this. It says, as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. So as the farmer's scattering seed, as he's moving along, there's some that doesn't get into the soil that he's already cultivated. There's some that just ends up on the hard ground. And before it even gets into the dirt, the birds come and eat it up. Sometimes, no matter how hard you work, sometimes, no matter how much you do, it just ends up somewhere that it's not going to work. That's life. It happens. It happens to me. It happens to you. I, I can share stories with you time and time again. You won't be alone in that regard. Last week, when we were talking about reaching the next generation, I shared with you a long list of friends of mine who I grew up with in church who are now serving in ministry in, in different capacities. And one of them is a guy who serves on staff at a large church in the, in the southern part of the country. And uh, his story is a little different than some of ours. But he grew up in a home where his parents weren't very, uh, weren't very, very religious uh, but I knew him through a couple of mutual friends, and I had a couple other friends in our youth group who knew him, and he, for a long time, was on our list of, like, man, if we could get him to come here, that'd be so cool. If we could introduce him to Jesus. So for years, we were praying for him and praying for him and praying for him. And then one day, we, we brought him to an event, and he came, and he was like, man, I had no idea church could be this fun. And he started coming back a couple times. And then, this is not a good evangelism strategy, but he saw a cute girl in our youth group and decided to come back. And she thought he was cute too, and they started dating. And I don't recommend this because this is what happened next, that after they started dating, her mom didn't like that they were dating because he hadn't grown up a Christian like her. And he was new to this faith thing, and I'm, I don't, again, this is not something I recommend. So she decided, the mom decided that this relationship needed to end. And so the daughter breaks up with this boy who had been a friend of ours for years, who we had been trying to win to Jesus, who we had been trying to talk to about Jesus, and she breaks his heart. And I'll never forget the day he said, man, forget it. If I'll never be good enough for her, then I don't want to be a part of this church thing. And then we, he walked out of the church, and we thought that might be the last time we ever see him here. But we kept praying for him and praying for him. And then one day, like a year, year and a half later, I don't know where he showed back up. And he said, I, I can't get this Jesus character out of my head. And this time, for the right reasons, he, he put down roots. And he started taking Jesus seriously because we didn't give up on him. And there are times in your life when you're going to cultivate the soil and do all of the right things and then something out of your control is going to happen and someone's going to fall away and it's not time for you to give up. It's time to understand that sometimes the seed falls on the wrong ground and it's okay. It happens. But it's not the end. Because then there are times when some seed, in verse 5, some seed fall on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, and it springs up quickly, where the soil is shallow, and you think, yes, we did it, success. Right, like, all right, cool, it happens. And it happens here. Like, we've celebrated people, and they've been baptized, and we think, all right, they're all in. And then months, weeks, days happen, and they start to fall away, and hey, where'd that person go? What happened there? 
But Jesus tells us in verse 6 exactly what happens. He says, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Because the end of it isn't just them saying yes to Jesus. The end of it isn't just walking into the water and getting baptized and saying, yes, I believe in Jesus. It has, it has to be a development of roots. There has to be growth that happens. This is why we don't say, okay, cool, follow Jesus, just show up when you feel like it. This is why we say, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be a part of our church. If you want to follow Jesus, you need to be in a neighborhood group. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to serve. This is what following Jesus looks like, is taking root and taking hold and holding on to something more than just air because life will get hard there's not a person in this room who can't attest to that fact is that doctors use words you don't want them to hear spouses use words that will hurt bosses will lay you off life will get hard but the people with established roots stay The sun will scorch some who don't have roots. Life will knock you down and will beat you up. Even if it doesn't, it says in verse 7 that other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Because life is hard. This is why we emphasize community groups so much. This is why we want so badly for you to be in a group with people in your neighborhood, with people around you. Not because we think you need friends. I take that back. We do think you need these friends. Not just because we think you need a social life, but because we think you need people you can count on. But because we think that you need people who will come to you in the most difficult of your circumstances. But because we think you need people who will come to you in the hardest of your times and say, we don't want you to be alone right now. We don't think that you need to be rooted because we want to boost statistics to brag about. We think you need to be rooted because we've seen the success of relationships and we've seen the failure of isolation. I can tell you story after story of person who I know who started to follow Jesus and said something to the effect of, I just follow Jesus on my own and doesn't follow him anymore. And I can tell you story after story of person who follows Jesus in a committed tribe and group of people in a community of believers who have been through some dark valleys and to this day follows Jesus because of the people around them. There's a story in the Old Testament of uh, the Israelites, God's chosen people, and Moses is leading them, and they're into a, they enter into a battle with a group called the Amalekites. And God tells Moses, he says, Moses, as long as you raise the staff of God, the Amalekites will lose. So Moses goes, cool. So he climbs to the top of the highest hill, and he's watching the battle, and he lifts the staff up in the air. And as soon as he lifts the staff up in the air, he watches, and the Amalekites just start retreating, and the Israelites just start whipping them, right? I mean, they're just killing them. They're like, man, we are so strong. We are so good, and they're just winning this battle left and right. They're just destroying the Amalekites in every way. 
But what you can imagine, right? I mean, he's holding this stick up in the air. And his arm starts to get tired, so he switches arms. And that arm starts to get tired, so he switches arms. And finally, he's like, all right, I'm just going to take a break for a minute. Let it down. I mean, I'm still holding it up. But as the stick, as the staff comes down, the Amalekites start to come back. And the Israelites start to lose their momentum. Moses realizes, I have to hold this in the air. I have, have to put it in the air. It has to go up. But he gets more tired, and his arms get weaker and weaker. And he doesn't know what to do because clearly the secret is that God is telling Moses, in order to win, you have to trust me and you have to hold your arms in the air, but he can't do it on his own. So what they do is a few other guys leave the battle and they come up the hill to Moses. And they stand right underneath Moses and they hold their arms under his. And their only job becomes to hold Moses' arms up so he doesn't have to do it on his own. This is what a rooted life looks like. is a life where you're in a group of people who say, we're not going to let you do this on your own. We're not going to let you walk through this by yourself. This is the, this is the end result is a group of people who are working together to produce fruit. Because the end of the story goes like this, and it says, Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And it produced fruit. I mean, just think about this with me. Do some simple math. If there are 100 people here today, if there are 100 people who willingly said, I'm going to go out and I want to reach 100, each of us reach one person, then we've reached 100 people out of 50,000. And it thinks, oh, we haven't made much of a dent. But then we have 200 people to go and reach 49,900. And then we have, I won't do the math for you. But the, the crop produces 30, 60, 90 times. All because we were willing to say, we're going to cultivate that soil. We are going to do something that makes a difference. And it's not hard. I, I, I tell you, like, I'm not asking you to go preach on the corner and, and scream and holler. I'm not asking you to make a sign that tells people they're going to hell. I'm asking you to find the people you already know and love them and have a conversation with them about Jesus. I'm asking you to find people who are already around you at work, at school, in your neighborhood, and love them well enough to ask them, why is it you are the way you are? And for them to ask you, why is it you are the way you are? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me share with you the gospel. And to just start sowing seeds, knowing full well that it might not take the first time. That is 
okay. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes intentionality. And we're okay with that. This isn't an overnight thing. Farming takes time. You all know that. Can anyone just shout it out for me? What's the job of an apple tree? Does anyone know? Shout it out. It's cool. You should know the answer. I've asked this question before. Anyone know the job of an apple tree? Not to produce apples. Not to produce seeds. It's to make more apple trees. Because if it just makes apples or if it just makes seeds, there's no more apple trees. Close, though. You're both, like, on the right track, so I give you partial credit. See me after class, you get a bonus. The job of an apple tree is to produce more apple trees. And this is the job of the Christian. is to find ways to produce fruit. And so here in just a moment, we're going to have a communion time. And the men are going to go to the back, and they're going to prepare to bring you bread and a cup. And as they do that, I want you to do two things. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about the thing that Jesus always asks us to think about. And that is that to remember that his body was broken for us and his blood was poured out for us. For us, for you and me, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our own lives, Jesus died. The second thing I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to think about a name. It shouldn't be that hard because I imagine that for some of you, this name has already been on your mind several times. Because when we started talking about building relationships with people who don't know him, when we already started talking about the 50,000, it was on your mind. Start thinking about who it is that you can start cultivating the soil with. Start thinking about who it is that you can reach. And start praying that God will give you the courage to share this gospel with.